If you'll turn with me to Judges 16, we're going we'll to read, read the whole chapter. And we're finishing up the great story of Samson uh, that's often taught, uh, but little preached. <laughs> uh, we, we're familiar with flannel graph, Samson. I'm hoping uh, we could put more flesh on his story. Uh, that, that you see he's more than his strength. He's a man of faith who, who's commended in the, in the writer of Hebrews that he's a man made strong out of weakness. He enforced justice. He conquered kingdoms. He obtained God's promises, drinking water from a rock. Uh, he was mighty in war. He was tortured, rejected. Uh, he refused to accept release so he could rise to a better life. Right? He, that's what we're going to read about today. Uh, he was mocked, put in chains, imprisoned, afflicted, mistreated. All those things apply to, can, can apply to Samson. And uh, Samson does all of this by himself <laughs> in the power of the Spirit. Nobody ar- rises up with him. So we are in, as we read, we're in the, this downward spiral. Israel is circling the drain, so to speak. Uh, they become just like their Philistine neighbors, and they need rescued. And so let's, let's read, read the story, and it, it will lead us to the table eventually. This is God's word. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, and see where this great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give to you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dry, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. And now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until you now you have mocked me and told me lies, tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, Then it shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, 
The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Have you mocked me these three times? And you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she called, sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in, in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they praised their god, for they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean against them. Now the house was full of the men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and, and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for... Uh, just the good news of your word, uh, that you tell us the truth about ourself. And so I pray today that you would show us the wonder of your pursuing love of us. You would show us the shock of your desire for sinners like us to, to be included. That is Jesus prayed, uh, Lord, that, that the glory Jesus has had for eternity, that we would, uh, 
we would have that glory today, uh, that the love that Jesus had for all of eternity that might be enjoyed and tasted and experienced by us today, because we, that's how loved we are. So open our eyes to see you and respond with faithfulness because you've been so faithful to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the, the very first love story in Genesis is a story when, when Adam saw Eve. And it's, it's a story that's been repeated, I'm sure, in this room by me, countless men throughout the ages. He saw his wife and says, at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, uh, which is, uh, he just burst into poetry, which is a saying, she's beautiful, this is the one I've been waiting for. And of course, in Genesis 2, it's, if you just stop there, it sounds like they're going to live happily ever after. <laughs> but it's the first love story. And in every extent, that's what love stories do as, as to preparing for marriage. Um, where you, the man sees the woman, the woman sees the man, and, and the beauty of it is having two people delighting in, in each other, coming together, and, and picturing God's love for us. That's, that's the purpose. In our story, we see Samson replaying the story of Adam with Delilah, this Philistine woman who's going to betray him. Uh, he sees her and says, whoa, that's the one I want. Um, it's really helpful just to get this picture of how beautiful love is in Genesis because it helps you feel the pain of what Samson's about to go through, some of it self-inflicted. Um, one of the most beautiful descriptions of just love of a man for a woman I found is from Sheldon Vonnegut, a friend of C.S. Lewis in A Severe Mercy. And here's how he describes love. He's a poet, so he's, he's, a, he's a romantic, like Samson, I think. Um, but Vonnegut says, one who has never been in love might mistake it either for infatuation or a mixture of affection and sexual attraction. They might mistake love for that. But when the real thing happens, there's no doubt. A man in the jungle might hear a hyena and mistake it for a lion. But when he hears the lion's growl, he darn well knows it's a lion. <laughs> it's the same with genuine in-loveness. And that's how it was with my wife and me. It was like being hit with a sudden glory, and our love, of course, to us, seemed like a miracle. Love always does. It's the old, old story that's sung by poets and sneered at by the wrinkled of heart. <laughs> but it's a miracle, an unbelievable miracle, as every springtime of the earth is a miracle. That's where Samson's at in the beginning of the story. Uh, he's smitten, he's Twitterpated, if you will. <laughs> he's a passionate guy. The problem is he's going to experience the curse. Uh, he's going to be betrayed. Um, it's the story of every love story. It starts out wonderful, and then eventually, like Adam and Eve, you turn and say to God, why did you give me this person? It's their fault that I'm this way. Uh, go like this. And so what we have to do is ask, in the midst of the betrayal, the pain, of Samson's love story, even unto death. Why is this here? Right? Why, is, why is the story of Samson's betrayal here? Is it just to give a moral lesson of don't, don't make a poor choice when you, when you fall in love? Or is there more? And I think what we're going to see is God's trying to teach us, teach his people, 
especially Israel in this context, they are serial adulterers spiritually. They can't stop. And so this is here to teach us. As we're, so we're going to look this morning, we're going to see the pain of love, we're going to see the curse Israel deserved, and then we're going to see love suffering servant, and, and then we'll come to the table. But let's look at the pain of love here for Samson. There's some details that are really interesting. Delilah means of the night, so she's, she's of the darkness. Uh, it's, and Samson, if you remember, his name means little son. And so the, st- the love story you're, you're about to hear is a love story of the light falling in love with and pursuing the darkness. And it's a dim hint, right? It's a small, a small picture. Samson, the small light, is going to fall in love with a, a woman of the night, a woman of darkness, which sets you up for the pain that's, that's to follow. Uh, but start in 16.1, because there's another woman, there's this prostitute that we have to deal with, and it's really hard for us to imagine Samson being described as a man of whom the world's not worthy if he's visiting a prostitute. And that's, that's the argument, right? How can God use a guy who's committing adultery, who's breaking the seventh commandment, who uh, it just it sounds inappropriate. And, but I know it sounds inappropriate at first read, but I don't think it is because the, the Hebrew phrase... Uh, to, go, to go into her, um, you find that all over the Bible in non-awkward ways. <laughs> so in Judges, Barak goes into the tent of Jael to look at the body of the dead general. You remember that story? This was probably a few months ago. And it says he went into her, talking about Jael. Nobody accuses Barak of being an indecent man. It's just saying he went into the tent. He went into where she lives. Um, what I really think this is tying into, because it's the same story as Rahab, right? the, the Hebrew spies. It's, it's replaying the story here. Uh, the Hebrew spies go into Rahab, the harlot's house, and no one accuses Ke- Joshua and Caleb of, of anything scandalous. And it's the exact same phrase. They went into her. They went into her home. What really, what I, I'm just trying to convince you that it doesn't necessarily have to be immoral because... I think it's, it's, it's echoing the same ideas. Samson is going into Gaza to defeat the Philistines, to fight against the Philistines, and he's going to take the town. Um, you may not be convinced. I could be wrong, but I, I really do think it's, it's a phrase that could go either way. Uh, that he, and you see later, as we go on in the story, I don't think he's just a, a boys will be boys sort of thing. He's, the only way to get into an enemy city uh, without being immediately suspect is through the house of a prostitute, if you're an outsider. Because the way to get into a city, you have to go through the city gates. You have to be interviewed by the elders. They ask you, what is your business here? And when you say, I'm here to, to go to the prostitute, nobody asks any questions. But everybody knew where he was. They said, Samson's here. It's just a matter of a question of whether they knew it was Samson to begin with or they were brave enough to take him out. So they, the Philistines are plotting to attack Samson Samson's plotting to attack Gaza, the Philistines. And because he's, it's this ancient military strategy, that's what they would do. They would go into the prostitute's house. And so, what happens? Well, literally, Samson wakes up in the middle of the night. To everyone's surprise, it's a a surprise attack. 
and he takes the city gates and this massive feat of strength and he puts them on his shoulders and then he walks these city gates 50 miles to the next nearest city, Hebron. All right, I mean, this is Samson in full beast mode. He says, bar and all, it's hard to imagine going on such a long journey. I mean, I remember as a kid helping my grandfather carry five-gallon buckets of water to, to water the animals, you know, and that's going like 10 yards, and I'm grunting and complaining about it. The city gates, he not only had to mow through these men, he also had to lift it up out of the ground and carry it. Right. And so you're asking, what's the point of all this? It's, it's a fun story uh, because we're not there <laughs> in the midst of the violence. Why is he here? And why would he take the city gates to Hebron? And, and it helps to know that Hebron is in, it, deep in Israelite territory. It's in the tribe of Caleb. And what Samson is doing is he's showing God's people that God's promises are still true. And this is the point that I'm going to camp out on here. Right? He's trying to show Israel, join me in for battle. Shake off the Philistines, come to war with me. And so think about the visible picture of you're a, a Hebrew, an Israelite, and Samson just drops your enemy's gates in your front lawn. You now have a Philistine lawn ornament. Right? It's saying God is already fought a victory, rise up, follow him. It's a literal promise from, from Genesis. In Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring and your offspring, your children, this is Israel, shall possess the gate of your enemies. And this is not a, I'm guessing this is not a, a promise that you claim when you wake up in the morning. But it's a beautiful promise that, that you would possess the gate of your enemies. It's a blessing of God protecting and fighting, God's bat, fighting the battles of his people for them. All right. it's, this, it's this picture. You may be weak. You may be scared. You may be afraid. But don't put your trust in horses or chariots of the sword or battle. Put your trust in the Lord who promises that you will possess the city gates of your enemies. If you have the city gates, you can take the city because it's just a wide open door to run in with your army. So it's a, it's a promise that through faith, you can win battles that you could never win on your own. Samson is taking this as a visual aid to show them God's promises still stand. God will still defend you if you will trust him, if you will be courageous and come out of your home. Right. And so how do you apply that? Because what happens, Samson puts the city gates and nothing, nobody rises up to follow. He just, then we have the love story. Right. The point is, nobody in Israel responds. And this is the sad part. This is the prophetic part of the passage. Nobody in Israel has the courage of faith to rise up and trust that God will fight for them, even though he already has through Samson. Right. So think about it this way. There's no faith in Israel. There's no courage, and courage is the fruit of faith. And faith believes that God loves me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. He will protect me. He will take care of me. Uh, it's, it's Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid for the Lord your God is with you and he will, not, he will be with you wherever you go. You will possess the gate of your enemies. 
And courage really is the fruit of believing deep down that God is with you and that he is strong enough to fight your battles for you and that he will carry you through whether you are strong enough to get through it on your own or not. And Israel has no courage because they don't have faith. And so the question is, what more must God do to change their minds, to inspire courage, to inspire courage that, that flows from faith? They have a visual aid. It doesn't do anything. There's no courage because they don't, they don't know or believe or care that the Lord is their covenant-keeping God that loves them. There's no intimate love and trust and knowledge, therefore there's no courage. That's Israel. What about you and I? Well, we re- have the same promises through faith in Jesus, right? Be strong, be courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you for wherever you go, or as Jesus put it, I will be with you and never forsake you, even unto the end of the age. And you know what the, the equivalent promise is for us as Christians? To possess the gate of your enemies? Well, Jesus said it in Matthew 16. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not withstand against it. You have the keys of the kingdom, he says to Peter and to the church. Whatever you bind on earth, you will bind in heaven. Whoever you forgive on earth, I will forgive in heaven. You have my authority behind you. Now go forward. Or as Jesus says to the church, basically, my will will be done on earth through the church. I mean, that that is a big promise. You will possess the gates of hell, the gates of your enemies. They cannot withstand the church going on the offensive. This is Jesus giving orders for us Christians to go proclaim the gospel, live out the Christian life together, and the gates of hell cannot stop you. It's, it's an offensive term. Right? You only storm gates if you are attacking the city. And it's, a, it's a, a metaphor for saying, go out, be faithful, um, be courageous, put sin to death, make disciples, be discipled, participate in Jesus' work in the church to know God more intimately. That's how he applies it later. Um, be salt of the earth among your neighbors. Be the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. As we sang with the kids, you're created for good works. And those good works are meant to be done in front of your neighbors so that they might see those good works and praise your Father who is in heaven. See, the command of Jesus that, that you, Christian, will put, that the gates of hell will not withstand against the church. Um, it's a command to trust Jesus. <laughs> and just Go forward. Get out of bed the next day. Do what Jesus is telling you to do. It's saying the gates of hell will not win no matter how ugly it gets. We will overcome. We will overcome ultimately because Jesus is alive. It's just saying, Jesus is saying, be courageous as you follow me. Be the church. That following Jesus, this is the picture I'm trying to get you If you believe that you will possess the gate of your enemies because God gives them to you, it still requires courage to follow Jesus, especially in a world where nobody else does. 
because it's really hard for light to shine in the darkness for Israel when they're acting just like their Philistine neighbors who live in darkness. It's really hard for them to be courageous when they're just hiding in the dark. And so application questions as you wrestle with this idea of possessing the gate of your enemies, that there is more power flowing through you through the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead than you can imagine. Um, It's calling us to be courageous, to join a church, to confess your sins to one another, to make Jesus' mission your mission. That's what Samson's trying to do, to make God's mission Israel's mission that he has already commanded them to do, which is take the promised land. Right? It takes courage to love your enemies, uh, to serve even if you're not served back, to be a parent. That takes courage, uh, to discipline, uh, to, to love your spouse, to forgive when you're not forgiven. It takes courage to say no to, what, to the things that our neighbors are doing that are not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, it takes courage to, to lose in order to gain a relationship. These are all the ways of Jesus. I'm trying to encourage you that the, the promise of Abraham is our promise, that he, God promises we will possess the gate of our enemies. The problem is, well, it, just like Israel of old, my, weak for, my love for God is too weak, and therefore I, my courage falters. Right? Israel's love for, for their God, who has been faithful, Their courage is non-existent because their love for Yahweh is non-existent. So Samson goes forth alone. So, that's the introduction to the the love story. It's it's part of the bigger story of God rescuing Israel from the Philistines. So watch what Samson does here. Because what's going to show Israel God loves them? Well, God gives them a picture of, of his servant loving a woman who repeatedly betrays him even unto death. Right? So, Samson loves Delilah. You can look at it. It's an irrational love. It's a painful love. It's like Samson learned nothing from the other time he fell in love with a Philistine woman. I mean, and to add to the drama, Samson doesn't know. Um, but she's recruited by the Philistines to betray him for 1,100 pieces of silver from each lord. And Joshua says there's five lords of the Philistines. So this is, she is offered... 5,500 pieces of silver to betray Samson. Doesn't mean much to us, but it's an absurd amount of money. In the ancient world, you could buy a slave for 30 pieces of silver, just to put that picture. So 5,500, she could live the high life for the rest of her life. She had it made. And so that's what she does. She takes the money. She's willing to take the money to go and betray Samson, who loves her. And then you have that game that's repeated, the love game. Samson, how can I tie you up? (laughs) And she plays the game of, oh no, uh, the Philistines, where did they come from? Those sneaky Philistines. She's trying to get the secret of his strength, because that's the secret of every Christian. We look ordinary, but because the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is with us, we have strength. Samson to the Philistines look like an ordinary dude. They cannot figure out why he keeps winning. They don't realize the secret is the Lord with him. 
And so the story goes, Samson's visiting Delilah. She hides Philistines in the inner chamber in her bedroom. So it's three times Samson gives the wrong answer to Delilah as part of this game. Three times the Philistines attack. Three times Samson wins. Three times no one knows the secret. And three times Samson is betrayed. I don't know, we the reader are wondering how thick is this guy? <laughs> um, trying to question his reasoning skills. Does he, why would he love somebody who do, does this? Is he not picking up the clues? I mean, that's part of the, the mystery of the text. It's also the mystery of love. This is an irrational love. Here's what I want to push toward you. This is just the pain that God, who is light, goes through to love his people who are in the dark. Right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then later it says, here's the judgment, light came into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. That's, this, that's what's happening in this story. Samson is loving this woman who betrays him unto death. She's seduced by money, by power, by comfort. She's trying to seduce the light to come into the darkness, and it appears she succeeds. Uh, Samson uh, falls to foolishness. And here's, here's a good application. Just to pause. Right, we're, we're called and commanded by Jesus to go to be courageous because he loves us more than we can imagine. He will never leave us. What gets in the way? Well, the seduction of sin. Darkness is seductive. Sin is a seductress. And it's always making promises that, that will be broken. It promises love. It promises to be with you. And always let you down. It will torment you, as it says Delilah did to Samson. Right? I mean, we know this from experience. We just don't like to talk about it because it's embarrassing. Um, that every time I give in to what God says is wrong and harms others and offends a holy God, it's because I've given in, like Samson. I've been seduced. It's because sin has whispered, I can love you better than God loves you, and I'm going to give you immediate pleasure. Why would... Has God really said these things that he said? And we, we cave in. Right? The modern version would go more like this, I think. Uh, you can love you and give you what you need to do what you want better than what God can give you in the moment. Uh, that if, if you want this thing, it must be because God is holding out on you. And it's just like you may have a wall of defenses and it just keeps beating and beating you. Uh, it's a seductress. She just keeps saying, you don't really love me. You don't really love me until you give in. And then you're left with guilt and shame and torture and pain and, and death. That's why Proverbs, Proverbs 9, describes sin and foolishness as a seductress. She invites you in to eat with her, to, to, to fellowship with her. But the person who gets invited and comes in doesn't realize that everyone eating with her is dead picture of skeletons eating at the table. That's what happens when you get seduced. So, 
Here's the, the picture I want to leave you with, the first point. God loving his people is painful, and Samson is experiencing that as he loves Delilah. And if Samson looks foolish giving his heart to a woman who betrayed him for money and comfort and power and influence, what about the Lord who loves his people? Who, th- both Samson and Israel have been seduced by the Philistines and prefer Philistine money, power, protection, acceptance. The God who loves people like us, who are easily seduced by sin. Which leads you to the, the second point. We get to see the curse Israel deserves. When Samson gives in and gives her the, his heart, he reveals his secret that he was a Nazarite, he's never cut his hair, he's kept his Nazarite vow, and that's the secret for the Lord being with him. And Samson becomes as weak as any other man, right? He's seized, he has his eyes gouged out, and he's put into slavery. He's bound, forced to do slave-like work for the Philistines. And as you read in the, in the reflection, Israel is being shown what their sin deserves. They can't see it at all. That's why they're not following. So Samson is paraded in front of them. He's blinded. He's mocked. And he's serving the Philistines. That's, that's the story of Israel that Samson is embodying in order to show God's people what they're like, in order to lead them to repentance, except they can't see it because they're blind like Samson. And so the picture in the text is Samson betrayed unto death in order to show Israel her sin. He suffered. Samson is mocked. He's, he's the entertainment to be dragged out at this party at the temple of Dagon. Right? Alcohol flowed. Who knows what horrible, what was entertaining for the Philistines. Um, but you have that note, his hair is growing back. And what happens in this story is Samson cries out for strength to avenge his eyes, to avenge his blindness, to do justice against the Philistines, to take them out. And then he volunteers to die with sinners, the Philistines, as one who is blind, captive, and weak. And God answers the prayers. He takes down the pillars. It's that famous scene. And Samson killed more people in his death than he did in his life. He was a better savior in his death than he was in his life. He died being numbered among the transgressors. And then the story ends. (laughs) Nothing changed. But the point is, here's what sin deserves. And this is how we're going to end and move towards the table here. Just think about it, how blind and stubborn and hard is Israel if this act of deliverance does nothing? Samson raised up, gates put in their front lawn, and they don't care because they prefer the Philistines. It's just saying that even if somebody would die for Israel, an imperfect man, it's not enough to change their hearts. They need a, a, a better, deeper picture of a suffering servant, of someone of God himself loving his unfaithful people. And that's what we get 
We started with the love story. It's a miracle that God, that anybody loves anyone in a fallen world. <laughs> love is a miracle when sinners get along. It's, even, it's an even greater miracle when God, the faithful one, loves an unfaithful people. And as we come to the table, we're going to get, Samson gives us a picture of a, a dim hint of the better suffering servant to come, Jesus. The true and better Samson. Because look at, look at Jesus, the light of the world, who came down into darkness because he loved those who loved the darkness, us. Look at Jesus, who did more with his, in his death to save us than he did with his life, right? to, to accomplish our, our salvation, our forgiveness, our justification. Look at Jesus, who took that curse, literally. Bl he wasn't physically blinded, but he was spiritually blinded, cut off from God. That's why he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You can look at Jesus who was rejected by God's people and betrayed for silver by the one he loves. You can look at Jesus who was more than a man made strong in weakness. No, it's God himself who had to come and rescue us. He is, he is the strong made weak in order to make us weak, strong. And, if, and we read Isaiah 53 for a reason because Jesus was numbered with the transgressors who took upon himself the iniquity of us all in order to change our hearts. That's what Israel was missing. Right? Samson's death didn't change anyone's heart. His death didn't make anyone righteous because Samson wasn't perfectly righteous. He wasn't the Lord. Samson alone was filled with the Spirit, not us, not God's people. But when you come to Jesus, so we have something better, and that's what we're going to taste. See, the picture you have of Jesus, the suffering servant, he is your bridegroom who loves you, and that's why he came to the cross. Uh, it's, it's trying to give into you love is a miracle. That's what we're going to taste this morning. Why in the world would God love someone like me? It's, it's Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, in the darkness. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. It's amazing love, how could, that thou, my God, should die for me. That's what we're going to taste this morning. That Jesus, who rose again, now provides a feast for us. And uh, he doesn't give us the gates of the Philistine. He gives us something better, actually. Uh, the gates of death. Right? It's, a, it's an image in Psalm 9. And as, an, as a way of being delivered, he gives us the gates of death. Death is no longer an enemy for all who trust in Jesus. Uh, it, he's taken away the sting. Right? And this feast is going to declare that, that you are loved more than you can imagine, despite being more unfaithful to the Lord than, you, than we're even able to see. And it's his grace that slowly starts to show us the ways we're unfaithful in order to change us, to give us... See, the purpose of this meal, and this is how we're going to end, is that as you trust Jesus and you see that he really does love you, it's, it's, it's designed to inspire courage to do the right thing, to follow Jesus and keep his commandments, to be discipled, 
to go deeper into his love for you, but then also to be empowered, to have the courage to say no to sin, to not be seduced because you know where that leads. You have a curse, the cross, you can see it. This is what my sin costs. Um, but then, by God's grace, to make Jesus' mission your mission. Right? That's the whole point. And when you do that, you'll be a part of the, you'll be living a life of faith, following Jesus, and you're living as Christ's bride, the church. You are loved more than you can imagine that empowers you to be, to be bold, to be courageous, because the spirit of your bridegroom, Jesus, is with you. And then you will love to proclaim Jesus' death till he returns, and his weakness will be your strength. Because the, the miracle that we're about to taste is that God loves sinners. And pray that that would not become a boring thing. Uh, God loves in his steadfast love to pursue an unfaithful bride and through the death of his son make us righteous as he is righteous. So that's, that's the picture of the church. Right? The light of the world, the son of righteousness himself, Jesus, who marries himself to darkness and makes him light as he is light. And he's already, by grace, declared you, Christian, to be in the light as he is in the light because you belong to him. So, my friends, Samson it was an imperfect savior. We have a better savior. Go and learn and taste of the shocking miracle of grace that God loves you uh, the true and better, through Jesus, the true and better Samson. Let's pray. Father, we're going to come to the table, and I pray that this would move from our head into our hearts, and that our hearts are melted and softened by your love for us in Christ, who was crucified for us. You would make us a courageous people to do the right thing, even if no one else does, and that you would give us the strength to say no to sin, uh, to follow Jesus, so that the light of our good works would surprise our neighbors as we forgive even our enemies. So Lord, we ask for your blessing now as we come to the table. In Jesus' name, amen.